Promo Kitchen is an all-volunteer, nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org donate. Thank you so much, and let's get started with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. We are a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of Common Skew, and I'm joined by blogger, consultant, and all-around promotional products nice guy, Bill Petrie. Bill is also the president of Brandivate. Many people in our industry worry and complain about the younger generation, most commonly known as millennials or Gen Y. Whether their concerns are based on reality or fiction, suffice it to say that much ink has been spilled on why our industry needs to sit up and pay attention to younger buyers and employees. While today's podcast will add to the Gen Y conversation, we are more interested in exploring the group that is coming up behind them, Gen Z or Gen Z, depending on how it is you like to pronounce it. Loosely defined as those born between 1995 and 2012, Gen Z is cast in a slightly more positive light than their Gen Y brethren. They are described as conscientious, hardworking, somewhat anxious, and mindful of the future. Like Gen Y, they are technology natives and have very high expectations of employers and the brands they support. Gen Z will also have a very important impact on the promotional products industry very soon. And this leads me to our guest today, Daniel Bielak. I met Daniel in September at the Archangel Conference in Toronto, which attracted incredible speakers such as Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, and Robin Sharma. At 17 years of age, Daniel stood out to me as a curious and conscientious young attendee, and I knew that he would provide a fascinating perspective to the Gen Z conversation. Ever since Daniel was a kid, he's always wanted to help people be successful, especially young people like him. Daniel is the founder and host of the Youth Empowerment Podcast. On the podcast, he has interviewed some of the world's greatest influencers, leaders, and inspirational people. Daniel also tells me he has an eye on the Prime Minister of Canada's job in 2035. He is someone with no shortage of ambition. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. It's great to be here with you, Mark, and you, Bill, and I'm so excited for this. I love your intro, Daniel. It's super inspiring. But I wonder, as you're in your first year of university and kind of debating, do you want to go the traditional route, meaning, you know, going through university and then, you know, going on to a career, as you're debating whether you want to stay in university or drop out, when you look at the generations in front of you, my generation X, Mark's generation X, and then the millennials or Gen Y, what do you think of the positives of those two generations? And what do you think of the negatives are? What are your perceptions of those generations? Well, 
honestly, I think they both have their ups and downs. Gen X, probably. I really like Gen X for the fact that they've kind of seen it a lot more than Gen Y and, and myself has. As in, you guys have experienced in when you were fully developed, you know, Web 1.0, the dot-com era, and then going into the Y2K era, and then now in the Web 2.0 era of social media, right? When I do these interviews with people among Gen X or when I talk to like my friend's parents, one of the things that I always ask them is, you know, how do they see the world? What can I learn from them and from their experience? Because that's one thing that Gen Z doesn't have. So I think one of the greatest advantages of Gen X is that they have seen a lot of the world develop. Now, Gen Y or millennials are really creative. Like, and a lot of them, I've read a couple studies that I found on LinkedIn and other websites. They showed that a lot of Gen Y actually went into the media and social media and marketing and PR industry. And it's interesting to think about that because that's what they grow up with. That's the period as to when social media was just getting started. And Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, that's when all that was happening. So if you look on to Gen Z, then we got to take what's happening now. And maybe that's a way to predict on what's going to happen into the future. So things like Vine and things like telling stories and things like music, like Lord and, and all these great things. Now, that's a very interesting perspective. That's a super interesting perspective. Because, you know, as Mark and I being, you know, I'm 46, I think Mark's 42. Is that right, Mark? Correct. I am okay. younger than you, Bill. Wow, you guys are 24 and 26. I like these ages. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, I like wish. It. <laughs> but, you know, we, we have seen a lot. And then, you know, what's interesting, I think, from my perspective, I, I don't want to speak for Mark, but I think he's probably had similar experiences. Our generation has absolutely been pushed, and I mean that in the most positive way, by the Generation Y or Millennials. How do you feel Generation Z or Z or whatever we're calling it, because I'm the only American on this podcast, how do you feel your generation is going to push millennials? Because they're now entering that area where we started getting pushed by millennials. They've had a few years of work experience. So what do you think your generation is going to do to kind of challenge millennials' way of thinking and the way millennials challenged Generation X's way of thinking? To kind of take at it from a different angle, I'll use social media once again. The hottest social media for the millennials was Facebook. Our hottest social media is Snapchat. And that's the big difference. Snapchat is very short, you know, but it's very like you have to captivate it with your attention. I think in our perspective, we'll challenge the way that millennials think about life, as in it doesn't need to be so structured. And I really mean that. I know I said it earlier too, but I think that's the biggest difference that they are very, you know, uh, creative, ambitious, but they don't act as much on those ambitions and creative visions. I think we're different in that, in that we have the capabilities to act and do that. And a lot of us do because we're surrounded by people that tell us, go do it, like Gary Vee and like all the amazing people that we saw at the Archangel Conference. And that's what I hope a lot more Gen Zers go out and experience. Cool. I want to follow up on the Snapchat thing in just a second, but you said something there that I found really interesting that, you know, you, you've mentioned that there's this subtle difference between, and correct me if I've misinterpreted what you said, 
that Gen Y is less action oriented. I know these are very general statements here. We don't want to get into trouble here, but less action oriented than Gen Z or Gen Z because of the environment that they've been raised in. Did I understand that correctly? Yes, you did. Yeah. So that's interesting to me because then you also said that Gen Z has been surrounded by very positive influences of people saying that they can go ahead and do it. And I know that if you're a, an Xer or a boomer, they may say, well, hang on a second. Hasn't Gen Y been surrounded by the same types of influences? Well, I don't think so. How is that different? Well, because Gen Y and millennials in that target, as they were surrounded by you guys and the baby boomers. Yep. And, you know, the baby boomers were very cautious, I'd say, of their grandchildren, which is the millennials, right? Saying, no, 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 you, this is, I walked uphill both ways, you know, type in the snow, you know, go down, go dirty and do it. And that didn't translate to Gen Y, the get dirty and do it. What they got from that was, oh, no, but that's so long ago. Right. That's a really interesting perspective. Yeah. I think you're hitting upon something well. And again, I I say this as someone who's Gen X, so I can't quite speak for what's going on there. But I think that there's some truth there. And I'd be interested in some of our Gen Y listeners, maybe they'll agree or disagree. But there's a subtle change. And Bill and I are parents now because we're super old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wow. (laughs) Of Gen Z kids. So my eldest son, he is five years younger than you, Daniel. He's 12 years old. Okay. Seems like a world of difference, but you know, he'll be 17 shortly. Bill's kids are 14. Yep. I have twin boys. Just so you're a twin. I have twin boys. Wow. Oh gosh. And I think about the environment in which we're raising our kids and how that contrasts with how we were raised as kids, you know, by our boomer parents. Right. It is super, super interesting. And I feel that the world that my kids are coming up in, and Bill, you might say the same for yours, is a world of incredible opportunity. I've said to the kids so many times, and not in some annoying dad way, that I say, like, the world you're growing up in could not be more exciting. Yeah. Yes, there's tons of crap and concern that's out there for sure. But the opportunity now is insane. And I think that that really impacts their worldview. Yeah, I would totally agree. My kids are 14, so they're three years younger than you. And exactly what Mark said, the amount of opportunity they have, there is no avenue that's off limits to them. Whereas my upbringing in Texas, where I grew up, was very structured. I went to high school, I went to college, I found a job, boom, boom, boom. And there wasn't all these opportunities. And I look back on things that I wished I had done. I always wanted to be a sports broadcaster, and there just never was an avenue for me to pursue that. It didn't feel like it was real. But if I was your age, Daniel, I know there's about 15 different avenues I could use to do that. I could podcast. I could do a billion other things to achieve those avenues. So I'm almost jealous of the opportunity your generation has. Yeah. And and you should be. There's there's no reason for you to not be. Like, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, my friend, he wants to go and be a broadcaster for CBC. So he created, through doing internships and co-ops at Rogers, he created his own Facebook live show called The Raven Report. And hopefully his goal by doing that is to get a broadcasting job at the Canadian Broadcasting Company. Yep. which is amazing and unheard of. Yeah. 
And that's when you guys were saying like the opportunities are so much different than they were. And there's a lot more. And so that's what I've been trying to say. Like, it's just the different ages and it's subtle differences between us and millennials. But I want to touch on one thing before we kind of move on here is that for us to be go-getters and to be ambitious and to be entrepreneurial is allowed and is highlighted and is cheered and championed. But for Gen Y, and especially your guys' generation, Gen X, it was, oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're unemployed? Hmm, that doesn't seem very good. You shouldn't be an entrepreneur. You should go get a, be a lawyer, be a doctor, you know? Right, absolutely. I recently had to do another project for my marketing class. The topic I chose to do was called, has entrepreneurship become too sexy? And that's the difference. Gen Y was still feeling the impact of, oh, no, you still have to go to school and you still have to, you know, X, Y, and Z to be successful, right? Well, now we're warming up to the idea that, hey, there's a lot of other ways to do it. And we're cheering the 17-year-olds like myself and Manu Goswami and all the other great and amazing people that are killing it right now because that's sexy for us, you know? Right. One of the things that I wrote about in the blog and one of the things that kind of the blog that kind of started this whole conversation was the fact that a lot of Gen Yers are almost hell bent on saying, hey, you are not you, meaning Gen X. You're not creative. You're not pushing the envelope. You're not thinking outside the box or whatever words you want to put on it. And my response to that was, I know quite a lot of millennials, and I've always been a supporter of millennials pushing the envelope. I'm a believer that it's the youngest generation's responsibility to make everybody else nervous. And so I like that. But I also know a lot of millennials who play it safer than anybody ever could. And I also know a lot of Gen Xers who are always pushing the envelope and forward thinking in what you said really hit on something. So up until Two and a half years ago, Daniel, I worked at a promotional products distributorship as a vice president of sales, which sounds really important. And I use the tools that you use. I built my own business from nothing. And Mark knows this very well because Mark is one of the people I talked to when I was thinking about doing it. I built my own website. I decided what I want to do. And over time, built my own business, not because it was sexy, because I wanted to do work that mattered. And so I, I guess my point is I almost view the characteristics of a generation is more of a state of mind. Yes, it's indicative of a group of people who happen to fall between age A and age B, but it's really a state of mind. Because I'm sure you've met people who are your age, but they seem like they're 18 going on 70. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to jump in with that. So, no, But that's really interesting. There's always going to be the pockets of people inside of generation that kind of challenge the whole stereotype, right? Absolutely. It's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things that Bill, I had commented on when you had originally written that post is that I think it's really dangerous. And I should have even said this at the very beginning. It's very dangerous to lump certain groups of people, whether they're defined, well, in this case, by age, and then assigning a generality about them. Like I'm uncomfortable at best doing that. But since a lot of people do it, that's what we're having the conversation about. And I think that this really comes down to whether someone is young at heart, young, progressive, and it doesn't matter what age they are. And I think that that's the real key. I mean, there's 
probably guys that are 65 that are on Snapchat that are having a grand old time communicating with their grandkids because they know that's the only way that the grandkids are going to communicate with them. So grandpa is getting with the times and is thinking super young. And I find it so interesting to see these little pockets. That was my only comment. And I'll jump in one more thing, and then I want to hear what Daniel has to say, because I do a lot of speaking in our industry, Daniel, and speaking to distributors who tend to be either at the upper echelon of Gen X or at the entry level to baby boomers. And they will universally tell me, we're scared to sell to millennials. And my comment to them is, it is not the younger generation's responsibility to ignore 20 to 25 years of technology they grew up with just to make you comfortable. And I think that's an important thing. I feel it's our responsibility as an older generation to learn how millennials worked, and then it'll be our responsibility again to see how someone from Generation Z would like to work. Well, yeah. I mean, not to say that in like a, oh, but like, duh. But like, and to say that as in, um, it's not something that you're doing for us, it's doing because that's how the world is right now. You're adapting to the, the way the world has progressed, the way technology has progressed. It just so happens that that's one of the best ways to communicate with, you know, millennials and and or like grandpa and grandkids example again. But it's just keeping up with the times. If I want my kids to come to dinner, I send them a Snapchat. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I do. Right? My mom uses Snapchat it, like for her. And I'll just because I really love this example for her. Snapchat is instead of me texting her 24 seven, letting her know what I'm doing and where I am. She can go and check my Instagram stories or my story on Snapchat, and she'll know what I'm doing and where I am. Yeah. And that's okay for her, because then she knows I'm safe, right? Yeah. It's such great examples. I want to dive into some specifics as to how this impacts our industry. So I'll ask some questions, and, you know, Daniel, you can either, you know, guess, or you can weigh in with some opinions. So you're 17 years old right now, probably a couple years away from the kind of person who would be employed by the promotional products industry, at least on a full-time basis. So based on all the attributes that we've been assigning to Gen Z, you know, this positive technology forward, highly entrepreneurial, and very, very encouraged, what kind of employees will you make for someone either in the promotional products industry or just any business for that matter? Will you be great or will you challenge the employer? And how do we navigate that? It's a very good question, by the way. And just from what I've seen from my friends and how they act, I'd have to say the type of employees that we'll make will be ones that will need to be recognized okay. and will need to be nurtured almost. Okay. But we have the capabilities for that, as in Gen Z on a whole general level, unlike our millennial counterparts, we want to listen. We want to learn as much as we can. Right. Right. So the reason I say nurtured and the reason I say recognize is because that's what fuels us, the congratulatory on the hard work that we've done. Or like, let's say I'm working for you, right? And you come and take me aside and we go through what my goals are, or we go through the work that needs to be done, or we go through how I've made a mistake, but you're going to show me how to learn from that and to be 10 times better. Right. I just recently quit my part-time job at American Eagle, and I've seen a lot of you know high school students coming in, and one of the big things that I see them always looking for is that recognition from our manager saying, oh, hey, that was a really good sale. Right. 
or nice job on that transaction or and something like that to give that positive reinforcement. Because unfortunately, because of technology, a lot of us are being raised in fashions and in environments that don't promote self-confidence. And that's where this need for recognition and guidance comes from. That's fascinating. I'll jump in with a quick one. And then Bill, I'm fascinated to hear your follow-up on this. Yeah. If I was to push back a bit on what you just said there, Daniel, yeah. if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm a Gen X or I'm a boomer in the promotional products industry, they're a central concern or a challenge that Gen Y presently presents to older employers is that they need a lot of recognition and nurturing. Mm. And someone who's a little bit older will say, when I was 21 and my job, I didn't need any of that. So how is your need for nurturing and recognition different than that of Gen Y, if at all? You tell us once we'll figure it out. Got it. Okay. So hopefully you don't have a lot of Gen Y like showing up with, you know, lighted pitchforks at your door going, what the (laughs) hell, man, you're throwing us under the bus. (laughs) I mean, I take their pitchforks in gratitude. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, man. You're killing it. This is great. (laughs) You know, we're talking about the promotional products industry and I guess to a lesser extent, advertising as a whole. How does advertising from your perspective, because my sense is you've never really seen a commercial. I know my kids don't watch commercials. How does advertising, either traditional or non-traditional, even approach shaping your purchasing patterns? Or maybe a better way to ask this is, how are your purchasing patterns shaped at all? Influencer marketing. I assume you mean like feedback and ratings on websites, things like that? No, no. I mean, um, when I say influencer marketing, I mean like, we're talking about Gen Z, right? Yep. And what, uh, okay. So with Gen Z, we, like I said, we're a lot more wanting to learn. So we idolize and mentorize, like, like for me, Gary Vaynerchuk, Lewis Howes, Jordan Harbinger are all mentors of mine, but I've only met, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk twice. And so we look to these people to give us guidance, right? So we are inside that influential person's ecosystem. Now, if you can, as a marketer or in the promotions industry, if you can tap into the ecosystems that we are in, then you have the capabilities with technology and figuring out what we like and yada, yada, yada. Then you have the ability to market the product that you want to us, as long as it's relevant to the ecosystem. Right. As long as it makes sense. Right. If I'm in like an entrepreneurial ecosystem and somebody comes and advertises me like tutus for their ballet, like that's not important to me. I'll just scroll right past it. But if somebody comes and advertises, like if Founder Magazine, they're releasing a book in the next few weeks, if they come and advertise their book on how they were able to create this magazine from nothing, and by the way, they're a millennial startup, then that's something I'd be interested in. Right. I think that one of the things that I'm hearing you say is that like clearly someone like Gary Vee is instrumental in your life from the standpoint of you know, how he's been able to affect your thinking. One of the things at Promo Kitchen that is a big part of what it is that we do is mentorship. And Mm. I'm just riffing a little bit here, but what I'm hearing is that if you're an employer or if you're someone who is looking to sell product to younger generations, specifically Gen Z, the degree to which you can come across as a mentor slash influencer and that's how it is that you position your employer brand or your brand period 
then that's really when you're going to cut through the noise and you're going to cut through all these other things that are getting in the way and get right to the heart of that market. And I think that you see that with other generations. I think people in general are influenced by that. But I think what I'm hearing you say is that Gen Z is uniquely responsive to influencer marketing in a way that we haven't seen with other generations. Yes. Just because with other generations, there's so many other ways to reach them. Ours, it's like a unique three, if three. And what are they? So the the one I just said, the influencer marketing, getting into those ecosystems, right? The second one would be, where do we spend the most of our time and using ads on those places? Yep. So Instagram right now, and they're coming up with a pretty good ad product. And then there's Snapchat, which has been experimenting with the ad products. People then using it the most has been like Sprite and DJ Khaled are, I think, the two that I can think of. And so that's the second way if you can get breach into those ecosystems. Then finally, it is the tried and true. It is word of mouth. Right. Mm-hmm. I will tell my friends about, because we're so connected through social media, I will be like, bro, check out this. It's amazing. Like from when I first published a medium, my first ever medium post, I think I had four other people reach out to me saying, oh, I've joined medium just after seeing your post. Right. Because I had something to say. So I think those are the biggest three. And then word of mouth can come from wherever we see it. Like if we see it from the Snapchat and Instagram, or if we see it from influencers, if you can make us talk about it, we're definitely going to say something about it. That's great. Let me ask you this. So one of the things that has been, I wouldn't say new to our industry, but certainly in the forefront the last couple of years is there's a group of people who really concentrate on content marketing trying to reach people that way through so blogs and podcasts and videos. And, and this is one of the mediums right here, you know, the Promo Kitchen podcast. Yeah. But as the human attention span is shrinking to that of a gnat, and that's a huge concern to a lot of content marketers. You need to start creating different kinds of content. What content would you suggest creating? Shareable content. A 60-minute podcast, or however long it may be, is great. And I think it possesses so much information. And that's why I've listened to them for the past four years going on to five, right? Now we need to do the shift and do the tilt into two minutes to five minute. And if it's powerful enough, 10 to 15 minute videos using Facebook video, because that's the best platform for video right now. Right. And then like just pounding away at your target audience with those three minute clips. Now, that's not to say that you can't upload a 60-minute whatever on your podcast or your YouTube channel, but allow yourself from that big piece of content to make it micro and to find the hidden jewels within it. And that's what's shareable and that's what can help you grow. No, and I think that's right. And I just, like I said, it just seems like the attention span is shrinking. And so if you're not hitting people with content they want, it better be very fast. I mean, what you're saying is, You'll listen to a 60-minute podcast if Gary Vee is on there and giving you some bank for your, <laughs> your, your time buck. Yes, yes. But if it's me prattling on for 45 minutes, that's a problem. Mm. And that's a problem for most people in the industry anyway. At least that's my perception. Bill, give yourself a little more credit, my friend. All right, 37. Sorry. <laughs> I'd say around 45 minutes is probably the good mark for you. And then, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I know. No, it's it's just interesting because I was sharing with some people, I'm at a content marketing crossroads with how long my blogs should be and things like that. So it's just very interesting, your perspective on that. 
I try to make mine like a three minute read. That's exactly what I do as well. If, if not less. Hey, Daniel, have you ever had any experience in purchasing promotional products before, whether it's for like a school club or a team, grad clothing? Ever had any direct experience? Um, yep. You're, you're talking about like rad sweaters or like club sweaters and things like that? You bet. Anything, any product that's got a logo on it would be defined as a promotional product. So grad sweaters and, and club sweaters, as you mentioned, would fall right into that. Do you want to tell us about the experience and like how that went and what you used the product for and how you ordered it? Yeah, sure. So last year when I was in grade 12, I was the uh, director of fundraising for DECA, which is like the business club in my high school. Okay. And we were to order sweaters for our executive team. Oh my gosh, at the heartache and headache that caused me. Oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe. Uh, just because- like, I bet we would believe it. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> but do tell. Like, yeah, do tell. The process was killer. Like one, we went through at least a good seven distributors before we like decided on the one because we're budgeted by the school, right? And by the budget that we have. So like we went to all these different things and they weren't, making it right for us like we were like no but we want like the embroidered and they were like no but we can't do that and i'm like why <laughs> and then and then they said if they did it'd be costing us like another ten dollars extra per sweater and we we're like no and so we finally like after like doing this and creating the sweaters and figuring out the colors and all the headache of contacting people we finally found somebody who like makes sweaters so they were like their own family. Their family does it. Family business. They make sweaters, right? So we went to them. And then it was taking too long. We were like messaging them. And we were like, what is happening? Like, where's our sweaters? We paid for this. We gave you the money. And he's like, sorry, but we actually haven't even started on them yet. And then we were like, what is happening? And so from that, they actually gave us back a refund of sorts and on top of the sweaters. So just the one, it was, it was probably the worst experience of, of my, of my uh, executive career there. It sounds like everything we preach against, which is trying to create a frictionless transaction. And it sounds like there was the enormous amount of friction in yours. I want to follow up Mark's question real quick. So when you think about promotional products, what products move you? What do you, if you look around your desk or your backpack or whatever, what promotional products have you received that you've kept? Two types of products. One, if the product is really good, you can't deny that. Like my bag, I don't know the story behind it, but it looks really nice. But on your level, like what are the promotional products that I see with? Like it's ones that have the stories, mm -hmm. the ones that envision a, like a brand is like General Electric, their story, I don't even know their story. But if I go to something like BuzzFeed, or if I go to something like Facebook, or if I go to something like my consulting club on university, or the student council on university called Ignite, igniting like students to do better, right? Mm -hmm. Those tell stories. And those are things that I'm willing to purchase. So it's so much so that before you can kind of want people to buy your product, unless it's a really good product, you have to have this story that will make somebody want to buy it. And you can use that story in very different ways. Like just think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's a psychological, there's a safety, like all these different things that you can build this story around, right? Absolutely. People buy stories, not bullet points. 
Mmm, I like that. That was good. That was poetic. <laughs> it, it reminds me of the poetry I write. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Are you basically saying, Bill, you're full of BS? Is that what you're really saying? Oh, no, well, no, not that. No, no. I'm saying that Bill is like the perfectly got it on the head. I think what he's trying to say was I succinctly crystallized his thoughts into words. Yes, I, I sometimes rant a little bit. My apologies. No, rant away. And that in and of itself is very poetic. Okay, so I want to go back to this horrible experience that you had with our industry. And and on behalf of our industry, Bill and I apologize. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what, that was the experience that you went through. But I'm going to ask a, a follow-up question on that. So the promotional products business, like a lot of non-technical industries, is very relationship-based where sales are largely made between people as opposed to websites. Right. And I ask you this question because, A, I wonder whether you feel your experience would have been better had all of these bumbling salespeople that were trying to sell you these sweaters would have all been replaced and you could have done the whole thing online. Would that have been your preference? I wouldn't say it was like all online because we did deal with people over email and like we communicated with them over email. I'd say you need a mixture of both. Like having that person that you can reach out to if like something's not quite right online or if you have a question or something like that is very useful. Yep. Absolutely. So it's a mixture of both. Sure, sure, sure. But if I dig deeper with that, I think that what I'm curious about is it sounded as though you had to go to seven different people and all of them were letting you down on either A, the price was too expensive. So fair enough, you have a budget. Certain distributors may not be able to meet your need. That's fine. Maybe other distributors were not able to deliver the right kind of product idea to you. Maybe another distributor was not properly explaining why embroidery would be more expensive than screen printing. And I will say as a side note, in their defense, embroidery is more expensive than screen printing, but they're bad if they didn't properly explain the options and why that was the case. And then it sounds like your last guy was able to provide the sweater that you liked. You liked the family business story, but then they were hopeless at the operational side and didn't even start the order. So you got screwed on that front. How could that have all been improved if you were designing the process from scratch, if you were the distributor, how would you deal with yourself, the high school client, to have made sure that was a flawless experience? To find the client that is capable of suiting our needs. Right. So the ones that we were dealing with weren't necessarily, like they were these big companies of like createyourownsweater.com, right? Right. And if we found a company that specialized in high school sweaters or club sweaters or all these things like that, then we would know that they were willing to work with us right? and willing to fulfill our needs because that's the demographic they were going after. Right. I think you hit the nail on the head and that goes right back to that influencer topic that we were talking about before. So if you found that company that was hugely influential within high school grad wear, let's say, I'm just making this up. Yeah. And they were podcasting, they were blogging, they were Snapchatting. They had Instagram stories about all these amazing things that they were doing for schools and universities and colleges across North America. Then my guess is that you would have looked nowhere else. You would have gone right to that company. 100%. And I bet, because I'm a big, big believer in this, I bet if their product was slightly more expensive than what you could afford, 
my guess is you probably would have bought it anyhow and you would have found more money because you knew that you were dealing with the very best. 100%. You hit it right on the tee. That's a great point. I got one more final question. What is your favorite form of electronic communication? Because for my kids, it's a moving target. It depends on what day I'm asking them. So I can start a conversation with them on text. Somewhere along lines, it'll go over to Snapchat, and it may end later on on Instagram. What is your least favorite and your most favorite form of electronic communication and why? Can I give you my three favorite? Absolutely. And the only ones that matter. Absolutely. Instagram, Snapchat, and LinkedIn. Those are my favorite. Like they matter for different reasons to me. Okay. Like I don't deny Facebook is amazing. Just those are unique. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I'd even throw away Instagram and move to Facebook because I use that more. And the reason I'll go with the odd one out in LinkedIn. It is the most, we talk about opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. It is the most opportunious and probably the best social media out there. All my friends now are creating LinkedIn profiles. Interesting. Not because anybody's like telling them, oh, you have to. I mean, other than me, I'm telling them you have to. Like everybody on campus now versus in high school is like, oh, you have to be professional. You have to have like this LinkedIn. You have to do yada, yada, X, Y, and Z to make yourself a better candidate for jobs. So the reason I think it's the best is because the other day I connected with Jack Dorsey. Mm -hmm. He's the CEO of Twitter and Square. Where else can I do that? That's amazing. That's a fantastic answer. Like, Love that. And Facebook, Snapchat. Okay, Facebook, the reason I think it's also amazing is because you can still communicate with like mom and dad, uncle and aunt, grandma and grandpa, because they're all on there because technology ages up. And so that's like the best way I can stay in touch with my family other than WhatsApp, because like that can communicate to like Israel. Real quick follow up. How much do you self-censor what you put on social media? Because it's not something I grew up with. It's not something Mark grew up with. And I know I live in fear of what my kids are great, but sometimes they're complete ding-dongs and they don't think (laughs) about consequences of things. Um, How much self-censoring do you do? I think this is where I might get a little bit more unique than my Gen Z counterparts in the sense that in a lot of decisions I make and a lot of the things that I do is predicated on 20 years from now. Which is smart. Which is smart, but I can also, let's say I wasn't doing that. Let's say I was for the, more so for the present than to think of having to have a plan for the future. I can screw up for the next 10 years and still be okay. Right. So perhaps maybe what your kids are posting on social media isn't necessarily the brightest of things. But like audit that, like be self-aware of that, like try to guide them to maybe post more acceptable things on there. because. Once it's on there, it's never going away. Oh, oh believe me, but, there's plenty of guiding going but, on but, in but, my house. But <laughs> allow them to fail. No, absolutely. I'm a big believer that they need to fail. I just want them to fail before it becomes permanent. Right, before they're like 30. Yeah, what I always say is I want you to make mistakes now and fail now because they're not life-altering. Right, right. And so, I don't know, how much auditing do you need to do on your social media? If it ruins your personality, then you've gone too far. Absolutely. We were talking about the election that just took place here in the United States. Mm. And I think, you know, I'll be 80 or so. And, you know, there will be things about the candidates LinkedIn and their Facebook and their Twitter and Instagram, things they'd posted in their 20s and 30s 
that's going to be something that would probably cause me, I would never vote for that person, but it's going to become so commonplace just because times have changed. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think about that because that's the path I want. So interesting, guys. I, I think we could go on for another hour, but I think we should probably stop it here. And like we do in all of our episodes, we like to give our guest the last word. And Daniel, if you have any final comments you'd like to make about anything that we've talked about here, as well as how people might be able to learn more about you and your great podcast and how they might be able to contact you. And we'll let you have at it. All right. We talked a lot in generalities in the past half hour or so. And I just want to say, as much as we talked about generalities, you are an individual person. So don't feel limited by the expectations that the world has set for you, or don't feel limited by the expectations mom and dad, or brother and sister, or baby boomer, or Gen X, or Gen Y have set for you, or even Gen Z. You can be your own person. You can carve out your path and it doesn't need to be within the limits of your generation. And that's something I hope I preach to as many youth as I can. And so that's kind of like my goal is to change the stigma of youth from being entitled, from being lazy, to being hard to work with, disrespectful people, to actually responsible, respectful, hardworking, and empathetic individuals that are not only the leaders of tomorrow, but are also the leaders of today. Thank you so much for listening to this. And hopefully you can take away five things from this episode and apply it to your life. Without a plan, you're aimless. And with only action, you're dauntless. Wow. Great stuff. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Daniel. This was an absolute pleasure. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.